to another episode of Speaking Literally, where the books speak for themselves. I'm Holly. And I'm Liz. And we are just going to jump right into this because this morning, man, we've had some technology issues and we just need to get started. So uh, there's quite a bit of uh, bookish buzz. So Liz, what's happening? Yeah, so sadly, the first one is a bit of a, a, a bit of a sad one. Um, so Gary Paulson, the author of Hatchet and Dog Song, um, has sadly passed away on October 13th, but he was aged 82. And he was credited with writing over 200 books. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Um, I mean, I've, I've already um, discussed with you earlier, but I haven't actually read any of his books. But you were talking about how um, he, he was quite a, a big part of American education. He is. Um, so especially with the book Hatchet, I know Dog Song has been very popular, too, among um, kind of like the late middle school kids, like 12, 13, 14. Those books have been very popular. And Hatchet has been taught in a lot of schools and middle schools because it's just it engages kids who at an age where sometimes they begin to lose interest in reading. And it's all about a, a young boy who finds himself alone in the middle of you know the wilderness and he has to figure out how to survive um so it's engaging and it's just it's just a great a great read so it's sad that he's you know that he's passed away um but he's definitely leaving a literary legacy behind him definitely sounds like it um and what else is in the news today well, there's some, you know, some positive things as well. So I don't know if you've ever heard of the Golden Burn Prize. I'd never heard of it before. Um, but it was recently awarded to Hanif Abdurakwib. Um, I did my best on the name. Um, so I apologize if I did not pronounce it even anywhere near what it was supposed to be pronounced like. But he won this prize for A Little Devil in America, which is a collection of essays focusing on black performances in recent years. So Denise uh, Minna, who is the chair of the judges, said that A Little Devil in America was written with verve and style, taking unexpected turns and focus to illuminate the artistic experience of black culture and America. It, what, I don't really typically read poems and essays. I like stories, but I was really interested in A Little Devil in America when I saw this because it really is focused on a lot of, um, kind of like that culture that, you know, their influence right now in America, you know, from Super Bowl performances to movies and really kind of highlighting, you know, their impact, this this cultural impact that we have. So, you know, kudos to Hanif for, for winning this Golden Burn Prize. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I don't really tend to read that many essays too much. I read um, some poetry, um, mainly kind of classic poetry more than anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it definitely sounds like it, it could, it's very inspirational. Obviously, Denise had a, a lot of, a lot of good words, a lot of praise to say about it. So yeah, well done to him. Yep. All right. What else? So, yeah. Next up is, um, for all those who have either watched or read Inspector Montalbano, which is an Italian, um, detective mystery series. The final novel in Andrea Camilleri's uh, series was published just over a week ago now mm-hmm. from when we're recording. So it was finished five years ago, but he didn't publish it because he didn't want the series to continue after his death. Um, and he did p- pass away, sadly, in 2019. Now, I have actually read, um, I've read the first, I think, one or two of the series. And it's quite interesting because I quite like my, my detective novels. Um, 
and also I do love everything Italian. So I kind of had to had to try it out. I think that's really kind of interesting that this is this is what he decided to. I haven't read any of his books, um, and I'm kind of fascinated now by it. But to think that you know he he thought so far ahead about what he wanted to happen with his series, and it makes me wonder about other series, you know, like. Um, like Nancy Drew, that those books have been like continued and rewritten for, for decades. And, yeah. you know, to know that he just, he wanted his series to end with him, um, was, was really kind of, kind of interesting. It's like, you know, good for him for having a plan and, you know, for having this book now come out two years after he passed away. No, I think it's important. I think if you want, if you feel that strongly and that passionate about a project, you wouldn't want anyone to take over because it's almost like somebody taking over your baby. Mm-hmm. So it's completely understandable. And yeah, good for him that he'll sleep plan so far in advance. Yeah, because I mean, he obviously knows how he wants his stories to go and how he wants his series to end. And you don't want anyone okay. messing with that. Exactly. Well, here's another interesting thing. Um, so earlier this month, novelist Mark Billingham, who wrote the Tom Thorne crime novels, caused a little debate when he suggested that readers should throw a book across the room angrily, his words, across the room angrily, if it hasn't gripped them by the first 20 pages. So my question to you, Liz, is, do you think it's bad to not finish a book once you've started it? A do not finish, a DNF. Do you DNF books? Uh, I I struggle so badly with DNF books. If it's somebody, even if a book is bad, I still try and push free. But that's not to say that I completely, like, I'm completely in support of other people DNFing. Um, because life is too short to read bad, bad books. But, yeah, I, I try and get better, but I just find it so hard to, to just... Stop reading it. Um, how about you, Holly? You know, I, I feel very much the same way. I think that there are maybe only a handful of books uh, that I could probably count on one hand that I have not finished because I feel the same way. It's like I've started it. I kind of like, even if I'm not like enjoying the book, I feel like I still want to know how it ends and where it goes. Uh, but I completely 100% support someone who just isn't isn't yeah. feeling it. Because like you said, you know, there's so many books out there. And I think it's also important to remember that you know, not everybody is going to like every book. So everybody has different oh, tastes yeah. and different styles. And like for me, the one book that I can tell you, and I mean, and the only reason I finished it technically was because I had my mom read it to me. But um, <laughs> A Brave New World. Um, was, you know, that classic novel, we had to read it in high school. And I, I didn't like it. And I mean, to the point where I was, I mean, I was a teenager. So I'm like, this book is horrible. I hate this book. Um, but I had to read it for school and my mom read it to me because I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. So I yeah. remember when I turned 30, I was, I said, I'm older, I'm wiser, I'm educated. And I'm going to give this book another shot. So I bought the book. I went to the bookstore, bought the book full price, brought it home, started reading it. And yeah, I got to page about 60 and I stopped. And I'm like, nope, can't do it. And that's really the only book I think I've ever read that I've treated yeah. like that. But like you said, it's like, you know, I'm not going to judge other people for it. Um, yeah, I know you definitely not. I mean, 20 pages, though, I think that's just a little bit too small amount to give up on a book. Yeah. Because that could be just one one chapter. That could be a an epilogue 
(laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Huh. So that's an interesting topic. Here's another interesting topic. Tell us what this next interesting topic is. Yes. So uh, Netflix has announced they are going to be starting a monthly book club. um, And this is premiering on November 16th. Uh, We don't know, obviously, whether this is just America or whether it's worldwide. uh, But it's all about discussing books and their movie adaptations. So the first book they're going to be discussing is Passing by Nella Larson. And then the film adaptation is being released on November 10th. So I think this is a really interesting way of encouraging Netflix users to to read the book and to really think about the book as well as watching the film. I think that's a, a brilliant idea of encouraging reading. I I love it. And I, you know, I don't know. I have never heard of The Passing by Nella Larson. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to, like, by November 16th, if I will have read the book or watched the movie. Yeah. But I think I want to watch it just to see what it's like and, you know, to see how they structure it. Because I think, like I, like you said, I think it's a fascinating and such a good way to do a book club uh, and get people reading and thinking and talking and connecting it to the movies. Because so many people love movie, movie adaptations of the book. So, oh, yeah. What a fascinating thing coming up. So I'm going to be eager to see kind of what um, the social media responses to to see how many, you know, people on, you know, Instagram on our bookstagram um, accounts are saying that they're they're watching it. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see kind of how how this is picked up and and as you say, how popular it becomes, because yeah. um, that would be a big decider on whether they'll continue with it. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's a brilliant idea and it's definitely something that. If it if it does come to the UK, I'll definitely I'll definitely watch. Yeah, so we'll definitely have to. Yeah, because I was gonna say it, this will premiere before our recording of our next show. So hopefully that everyone can watch it, so we can kind of talk <laughs> a little bit more about it on our next episode. So what is the final bit on our, our bookish buzz? So we always wrap up with the New York Times bestsellers list to see what's been going on over the last couple of weeks. So here's some shocking news, Liz. After 147 weeks for Where the Crawdads Sing and 43 weeks for The Midnight Library, both books have dropped out of the top 15. Oh. Yeah. But, Midnight Library made it nearly to a year. I know. Felt like nine weeks off. So, you know, and what's interesting is, you know, the they – there's fluctuation, obviously, every week between the books. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting to see if they pop back in, especially when the movie comes out yeah, um, for Where the Crawdads Sing. It's going to jump when right that back. Comes out, I think, yeah, that'll come right back up. Yep, back but in. It, yeah, mass, massive congratulations to Where the Crawdads, Where the Crawdads Sing. 147 yeah. weeks. That's just absolutely amazing. I know. It's crazy. So good job for those books. Um, so the current number one, and it was released this week and went straight to number one, was State of Terror by Hillary Rodham Clinton and Louise Penny. Have you yeah. read that one? No, I haven't read this one. It's, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously Hillary Rodham Clinton, i.e. your previous president's wife, mm-hmm. who has had all sorts of dodgy dealings with various, <laughs> various political parties, um, yep. is... Um, obviously pairing up with this well-known writer, which is, is quite interesting. Cause they've, they've done it obviously before. Um, I believe Clinton did it. Um, Bill Clinton did it with James Patterson, was it? I believe so. And that one just came out not that long ago too. Yeah, that was only a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how it does. Cause it, 
I mean, the fact it's gone straight to number one is probably because everyone is so curious yeah. about is it going to be any good? Well, mm-hmm. what is it going to be like? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's going to be the notoriety. But it'd be interesting to see what the position is next week compared to this week. Yeah, and I think so many people are just so fascinated by, like, the presidency of the United States and, yeah. like, what goes on behind the doors to the White House. And, and I think that's, you know, when Michelle Obama's Becoming book was released, I think that was part of the thrill of that book, but also because Michelle Obama was loved by so many people. Like she was such an amazing first lady and, you know, um, that people kind of really, really liked her and wanted to hear her story. Um, and I will say like, I loved her book and I was really eager to read it, not only to get the kind of like the background on, you know, her life, you know, married mm-hmm. to a politician, um, but just because I, I really, I really like her. Um, now, on the flip side, like Barack Obama released his book and it's, I want to read it, but I'm not like knocking down doors to get to it. Like I'm not yeah. as thrilled to read that one as I was to read Michelle Obama's. So, and yeah, I, it, yeah, so it's kind of weird. Um, all right, Liz, what, so, so since we're the crawl dads sing and midnight library had been, have been knocked out of the top 15, what is now our currently longest reigning book? So, yeah, the longest reigning is 24 weeks. So that's almost just over uh, six no, months, just under six months. Yeah, just under six months. Um, and that is The Last Thing He Told Me by Laura Days, um, which from what I gather, I haven't read it myself, uh, but I believe it's a, another thriller. So, again, um, it's also going to be a major TV series starring Julia Roberts and produced by Reese Witherspoon's uh, production company. So, is not too surprising that it's that high up because obviously it is going to be having a lot of notoriety at the moment. But I mean, thrillers do tend to do a lot better, I find, um, at staying in the the higher positions, just because who doesn't like thr- a good thriller once in a while? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> especially in October. Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's really interesting because I haven't read it either, but I wasn't aware that it was become it was being adapted. So that's really cool all right well there you have it for our bookish buzz we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about what we've been reading all right so liz what you've been reading so uh funnily enough i've been reading serpent and love what me too For everyone who doesn't know, we did a, a buddy read, um, end of November, end of, uh, September, beginning of October. Um, I don't know about you, but I absolutely loved it. It was such a brilliant read and I can't wait to read the next one, um, Blood and Money. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, sorry, Blood and Honey rather. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other one that I've been reading, um, that I've finished this month so far is Mexican Gothic, I believe it's by Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Um, this was such a good book. It really takes you back to kind of the the classic Gothic literature. So it's all about this Mexican family um, who receive a letter from their cousin, Catalina, who basically starts raving about her husband is poisoning her and she's hearing voices in the walls. Um, and it, it disturbs them so much that the daughter of the family has to, to rush over there, uh, get a train and, and go there. And this is all set in Mexico. So he, she goes to this house, which is completely run down. And it's 
it used to be really nice back in its day, um, it's a bit bigger state, but now it just hasn't had any love or any attention. So it's just a, a crumbling old kind of damp, mouldy house. And so she goes to see her and it's all about finding out what's really going on, uh, which it gets quite dark and it does get quite um, disturbing at times. So, it, yeah, absolutely fantastic read. Would definitely recommend it. That's awesome. Last time I went to the bookstore just a couple of weeks ago, I picked it up because uh, it's been on my, you know, to be read list forever. Mm. And so I um, picked that one up and I also picked up The Night Circus because uh, I know that you keep right. recommending that one. So, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm excited to get around to reading that one. Um, obviously, I also, oh, go ahead. Okay, so I've also read Serpent and Dove um, with you during our buddy read. Absolutely loved it. Just like you, I can't wait to read Blood and Honey um, to see where everything goes. Uh, such a great book, such a great fantasy series. I'm really, really into it. And I can't, like, now it's like, I can't believe I waited so long to read it. <laughs> um, but I think that's how I feel about a lot of books once I finally get around to reading them. Um, I but, would say about that one, though, is mm-hmm. that I'm the, the beginning bit wasn't as wasn't that good I yeah I remember we discussed it and we thought that it was going to be very generic and very kind of by the book but then after the first few chapters that's when it really starts picking up so again please ignore Mark William do not read your first <laughs> 20 pages that's right and throw it around <laughs> the book is worth the, the wait <laughs> and I would I would 100% agree with that because I remember beginning the book and Lou your main character protagonist you know, I felt like she just was embodying the stereotypical, yeah. you know, girl fantasy character. And I'm just like, she's just like every other character I've read in fantasy books. And it, but yeah, once, once it kind of starts picking up, you realize that she is her very own unique character, um, you know, who, who really comes into her own. And I really appreciated her and her character development by the end. Um, the other two books I've read recently, I've tried to this month pull in more. I'm not a big horror, um, scary book reader, even though I love scary movies. So, but I'm like, it's October. I want to participate in the spooky season, spooky reads. So, um, I do like Dean Koontz quite a bit. So I, um, read Darkfall, which he originally published way back in 1984. In my brain, 1984 doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but. Um, yeah, apparently it's almost 40 years ago now, um, which just whatever. That's a whole nother story. But that was a really it was a, a good book. It wasn't scary, um, but it was creepy. And there was um, I will say that the very first opening scene of the book was pretty intense. And it's like every childhood nightmare with like monsters under the bed. Uh, yeah. But the one thing I love about Dean Koontz is his imagery. I think any. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later because this is our Halloween special. Um, we are going to talk about all our spooky stories later. But one of the things I think really makes a scary story a scary story is the imagery because it sets that mood and that tone mm-hmm. and it really makes your skin crawl. And I think Dean Coots does a really, really good job at that. So I really liked the beginning because it was really creepy. I really liked the end because there was like split action between the, the two main people and they were in two different areas and there was like a race against the clock. Um, so you would jump to one where the danger was and then you'd flip to the other person who's trying to solve everything and it was like can he do it in time can he do it in time while these little (laughs) voodoo uh, hell spawn creatures are 
trying to kill people. Um, yeah. But it was good. And then the other one I just recently finished was an arc. Um, it's not going to be out until January, even though it's it's called a, a Letter to Three Witches. It takes place on Halloween, like the weeks leading up to Halloween, and concludes on Halloween. So it was a perfect read for October. Oh. But it was such a, it was a cozy little fun little read. It wasn't scary. It's, it's like your rom-com book for Halloween, but it wasn't really a romance book, but there's a little bit in there, but it was just like a comfy, cozy curl up with a blanket in your fuzzy socks kind of book. It's great. It'll be out in January. <laughs> okay. So um, now we've talked about what we've read the past month. What are you currently reading, Holly? Um, so right now I am reading, I'm kind of reading three. I'm reading two and I have an audio for one. I am reading, um, Bentley Little's The Store. Um, so it's a really creepy book about a really creepy store. I am, sadly this week I've been really busy, so I haven't had a lot of time to read, so I'm only at about a page 100 in it. Uh, but okay. it's, it's like, I feel like it's about a store that, like, you know, when people work there, they're like, I don't know, kind of like they get possessed or something. I'm not quite sure what's going on with the store, but you know there's something not good about it. And it, yeah. like the stores are built in like really remote towns and it, there's like a lot of like just creepy situations that occur during like the build of the store and like there's this mm-hmm. corporate office that doesn't really like nobody speaks to anybody. Everything that comes out of there is like digital and faxed and things like that. So it's kind of creepy. I'm ex- excited to see where it's going. And then I'm also um, listening to The Last House on Ned- uh, Needless Street, uh, which again is, yeah, it's another creepy story. It's like you have a, a talking, well, a cat who gets his own chapters, but he's a Bible reading cat, but he lives with someone who uh, I believe is a serial killer. And it's just really weird. Like the, it's just like it's not really scary right now, but it's definitely like these people are creepy. This is like a really creepy, weird kind of thing. So, <laughs> but I've been enjoying it. And then the the um the third book of of course we're going to talk about in upcoming releases is C T Ortega's new book, The Jewel of Egypt. I just started that one. Um, so and I'm enjoying that one so far. What about you? What are you reading right now? I need to start that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, start it or he's going to get mad at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, so I have been doing two buddy reads this month, which has been pretty intense because they were two really quite long books and quite heavy books. So um, with Tony, who is going to be joining us um, in a very short while, um, and his group, I've been reading Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Um, that I'm on to just finished part two. So I've got one more part to go. Um, which I need to read before the study first. But that, oh, really enjoying it. It's, um, if you don't know, it's, it's basically King's take on vampires set on, set in this town. Um, obviously Malian. And it's just a, a brilliant read. Um, and the second one is, uh, I'm doing with a, another group, um, on Bookstagram. And that is Dracula, the classic gothic, um, by Bram Staker, which I forgot how much of a heavy read it is. It is mm-hmm. very, um, at times, it is difficult to get through. So it's very slow, but at the same time, I'm really enjoying the writing style. Um, and that one, I think I've got about three chapters left, so I'm right near the end of that one. Um, so yeah, I'm getting there. And for my audiobook, I'm still reading uh, Sandman Act One. Um, so I haven't had a chance to, to listen to that too much, but 
I really like any of Neil Gaiman's work. So I've read a few of the Sandman's, um, some a few of the graphic novels, and they were really good. So this it, with the full celebrity cast is just brilliant. Um, so I would definitely recommend it. That's awesome. And you picked some really good books to read during October for sure. Um, and I know we're going to be talking about um, like Salem's Lot and some Stephen King stuff coming up here in just a couple minutes. So uh, I'm glad that you're having a spooky, a spooky month. <laughs> yeah. All right. So there are quite a few um, upcoming releases that you should probably be putting on your radar. Um, one is called Another Beast's Skin. It is a fantasy um, book that uh, will be turned into a series. And it's written by Jessica Glover, who, um, perfectly enough, will be our author guest on our November 22nd show she'll be joining us and we'll be talking about her new book and we'll be doing a a fun little interview with her Uh, but her book is going to be released on November 2nd fantastic so um, another book that's coming out in three well three days so it will be uh, launching a few days after this drops Uh, it's quite an interesting one it's one that did stand out as it could be quite a, a fun read and it's called Renegades Born in the USA. Um, the interesting thing is that it's written by Barack Obama and Bruce Springsteen. Uh, which <gasps> what an interesting combination. combination. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that could be quite an, quite an interesting read. Um, and that comes out on the 26th of October. Awesome. Um, I'm just kind of fascinated by the authors of that book. I can only imagine where that one goes. <laughs> um, yeah, um, right. yeah, I feel like I'm going to read it out of curiosity. Exactly. <laughs> um, so another one that's coming out um, we already just talked about, but is The Jewel of Egypt by C.T. Ortega. It is his new release, um, and it will be out on November 1st. So check that one out. And it's definitely an author that we both highly recommend. Mm, Absolutely. Having read quite a few of the the previous books. Um, And finally, so uh, as we are getting close to to that time of year, to Christmas time, uh, we are starting to see some of the Christmas releases coming out. And so on the 26th of October in America and 28th of October in the UK, um, Jenny Colgan is releasing her new Christmas book called The Christmas Bookshop. Uh, Now, I read the... Her last Christmas book last year that came out. Um, that was the Christmas in the Island Hotel, I believe it was. Um, and that was really good. It's just a typical kind of cozy um, rom-com Christmas little treat. So it's just an easy read. So I'm sure this one will be just as, as cozy and, and fun. I will say I really do enjoy, and maybe this is like such the girl in me, but I love Hallmark movies. So I love books that are like Hallmark movie books. Uh, and that's the feel I get about that one. So uh, definitely looking forward to that. So quite a bit of things um, coming out that are hitting the bookshelf soon. Um, Tony, our guest, has joined us. So we're going to take a quick break right now um and when we come back we'll introduce tony and we are going to get into hopefully a very very creepy scary conversation um so give us just a second we'll be right back all right welcome back and we are so excited to welcome tony to our show hi tony Hello, how are you doing? Doing great. Um, 
So, Tony has been reading Stephen King. You've been a Stephen King enthusiast since about, what, uh, 2014? Yeah, right around there. Okay. So, and you've read all of his books. Is that right? Yes. That... Yeah, and a bunch, multiple times. So. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Um, so, and, and apparently you've always had kind of a preference to horror and thriller ever since you can remember. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, when I was younger, it was just between like the, really the movies and, you know, always friends were always going to see scary movies late at night. And then, you know, I'd always watch a bunch with my dad late at night too. It's just, it was like always a thing growing up was watching scary movies. And then I got into reading them. So that's awesome. So what is it? that you look for in a scary book. So I'm assuming you don't read just Stephen King. So what, maybe you do. Um, but what is it about scary books that, um, that you look for? Like, what is it? Uh, I don't, I just, it, I think it's kind of the thrill of it. Like it's, you get these books that definitely, they up your heart rate. They make you think, they make you look at things differently. And I think that's kind of the cool part about horror is it takes, well, at least not the super crazy ones, but a lot of them mm-hmm. take like everyday things and kind of twist them to where it's definitely something that's going to keep you up at night. And I just think that's kind of fun. I think that that's probably, like you said, and I never really thought about it seriously, but I think it is the biggest thing about scary books is the fact that when they when authors can take real life things, like real things that happen or real things that you do every day and make it like dangerous and scary. I think that's what really makes it seem possible. And I think that's the possibility of it, I think is what makes it scary. Um, Cause I mean, I just, just over the weekend, I watched the original, the original, original Halloween movie with my son. And oh, that's, yeah. yeah, that's from like what, 1978. And we're watching it. And my son doesn't like scary things. And he's, he's 15, doesn't like anything scary, but yeah. he watched it. And he, he like, he was like, laughing at it because it 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 doesn't it doesn't feel real but i think you know he's like i want to see the new movie the halloween kills movie that just came out and i'm like "Mm, okay that might be a little bit more real feeling to you um but i i agree liz what are your thoughts i think that with a scary book they can be scarier than watching a horror film because it's the way that the writer conjures up the images in your head and Mm -hmm. makes you imagine it because you could often imagine worse things than than the things that you see on a script, on a film screen. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if it's a good horror writer who can conjure up those images and make you feel scared and kind of disturbed and kind of slightly almost like reeling in your own skin, um, that's what what makes a really good scary book. Yeah, I definitely definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mentioned it earlier. I think it really comes down to like you know, to be successful, like authors like Stephen King, like Dean Koontz and like some of these other ones, you know, it's, it's their word choice. It's the syntax that they use and develop mm-hmm. the, the setting and the, the urgency of it. You know, in a movie you can get like startled and that's scary because you're startled. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the text, it develop it can it can be dragged on and like that anticipation that urgency the words the it, it's developed you know it's just developed and then you're just like you're just feeling it and your skin crawls exactly yeah and I, like when you watch a film for example and you see like blood and gore or 
see a horrific scene, you know it's not real, you know it's just a film. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're actually reading about it and you're imagining it in your head, it's a lot more internal. So the feelings are kind of more exacerbated because yeah, the definitely not... that definitely feels more real when it's when you're picturing it yourself. <laughs> or like. mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of horror movies, especially nowadays, they thrive on the jump scare. So it's and you don't really get that from you can't really get that from Mm-mm. a book. Yeah. That would be interesting if they could do that. Yeah, <laughs> it would be. Yeah, I don't like, I don't like how the the um, film industry's gone a lot more for the the jump scares and horror films these days because I find one of the most powerful tools is the whole suspense. It's building up tension. Not so just. I think Flanagan's been killing the market recently because he doesn't really live on the jump scares at all. He has been thriving on building up everything slowly and being very subtle about his horror. What are some things he's written? Cause I'm not, so I'm, I'm going to be completely transparent. I am not a huge, uh, thriller horror story book. And I, you know, and I kind of want to like, you know, expand my horizon and read more. So what, what is Flanagan reading? So Flanagan, he's a, uh, he's a director. He's done, he did an adaptation of uh, the Haunting of Hill house. Oh, okay. Which was like the first one that really put him on the map. Um, and then he also did, an adaptation of um, The Turn of the Screw, but he called it The Haunting of Bly Manor. Mm. And then he I... recently had one called Midnight Mass that he wrote himself. So that was like I a self. And it was really good. If, you've, it? if you like Salem's Lot, you'd like Midnight Mass because they are somewhat similar in okay. just the structure and the way that he goes about doing some thir- things in that show. Um, but it's it's really good. And again, very subtle, like, not really any jump scares. It's more like creepy figures in the background, things like that. Yeah. that you just kind of notice. And I think that's that's kind of cool too. And they and you can do this in in text, but it's like it's the subtle things that you may not pick up with. It's almost like that. I guess in a sense, it's like foreshadowing. Like when you when you he- get hints of something else that's going on, and you know, like somebody here, like you know, you're reading, and someone hears a noise, or you know, something mm. creaks or breaks, and you know, there's nothing there, and then it builds. I think that is one of the things that you know, taking your time. You know, so we're kind of talking about comparison, comparing movies and the books. I think in movies there's an urgency just to get done because you have an hour and a half to two hours to get everything right. done. In a book, you you can go and you can take the time to really develop that sense of what is going on. And and I, I think that's kind of – and I don't know I – I, I have such weird thoughts about this. But I'm wondering if that's like – I like paranormal type scary books – and I'm not sure if it's because with paranormal, there's a, a lot of times you don't see it right away. Like it is something that's kind of built up to. It's like those, you know, those little things that are happening and, and the characters in the book don't really realize what's going on and what's happening to them until like, poof, like we have this huge yeah. climatic moment where here's just like, oh my God. Definitely. So, um, I mean, we can't talk about scary, spooky reads without talking about possibly one of the, the biggest geniuses of horror writers of our time, which is, of course, Mr. Stephen King. Um, so what got you into Stephen King in the first place? Um, what was it about Stephen King that really kind of attracted you to, to read them all? Uh, I mean, I really 
in terms of his books, I stumbled on them pretty much on accident because I, I was reading, like at the time, it was like my senior year of high school and I was just reading a bunch of books about kids with like superpowers and stuff. And then Carrie popped up as like a recommended read for that mm-hmm. topic. And I was like, all right, like we'll check it out. And that obviously was a, a lot different than the ones I had been reading. Maybe just um, a little. Yeah. A little bit. But I, I liked it a lot, and I was like, all right, this is pretty cool. And then I went away to college, did that whole thing, came back, and uh, picked up The Shining because my mom had gotten me Dr. Sleep for Christmas. So it was like I couldn't read that without reading The Shining, so I picked <laughs> up The Shining, and then immediately just from there it was just been nonstop. Okay, first one's Carrie. My, my first one, I think I might have read my first one when I was 14, and I read Christine. Oh, yeah. So... It wasn't one of the best ones, but it was still quite creepy for for that age. And the idea <laughs> of the whole car coming to life thing. Uh, but no, it was that kind of what is what started with my. I, lo- I love Christine because I think some of his descriptions in there are like top notch. Like the way he describes the car, like and rebuilding itself, and he just gets really in depth with some oh, scenes there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you had to pick, what would be your favorite Stephen King? It's The Shining. It's either The Shining or Pet Cemetery, but it's usually. The Shining is one I lean toward. Why? Um, what is it about? Both. Yeah. What is about The yeah, Shining? The, the Shining is so atmospheric. Like you, you just really feel like you're mm-hmm. there the whole time, and and it is like we were talking about earlier. It's all about that slow build up, that just subtle little things that just compound into one giant, like kind of blow up moment at the end, mm-hmm. literally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's like <laughs> Shining is such a good did such a good job at. at building the tension yeah i mean it's and it's funny because people i see a lot of complaints where they think it's slower they think it's repetitive but it's like that's kind of the point like it's supposed to do that it's supposed to be like subtle and then slowly building up to yeah. like seeing more and more ghosts and creeps and oh, yeah, definitely. Like that. that's crazy um what uh so I haven't read a lot of Stephen King. I think the only ones I've read are It. What are your thoughts on It? It is. I recently reread it actually for the second time, and it's uh, a it's a a beast, obviously. But it <laughs> maybe that's why I haven't read any other ones because that's the one I started with. <laughs> yeah, It and the, it the Stand. I mean, obviously the two like his two like biggest ones. So if you're gonna read those, it's, it's gonna be a commitment. <laughs> um, and it, I think, is definitely one of its more horrific ones. There's, I, I mean, oh it's just God. nonstop, like from the start mm-hmm. till the end, just brutal, crazy, creepy scenes. Yeah, just, completely. He just drops these like bombs on you constantly. Yeah, and there's, there's some definitely moments where it's a little ones. over the top. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. The one yeah. particular scene which completely like disturbs everybody and could never be written in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, that, that, everyone knows that scene. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and and you know, so besides that one, I want to say that's probably the only one I've actually read, but I have watched like. Like I've seen Pet Cemetery, I've seen, you know, remake. Oh, the old one. Um, oh god, uh, I don't. Uh, yeah, the remake is terrible. Yeah, I haven't seen the remake. Um, yeah, don't worry about it. Okay, yeah, perfect. Thanks. Good to know. <laughs> um, but I've so I've seen a lot of the movies. So how do the movies kind of compare to the books? I mean, obviously the books typically are always better than the movie, but yeah, but, but do I they? Think in almost every case. 
some of them drastically. The books are just much better. Um, there are a few gems out there that, you know, where the director and the actors and all did a really good job. And it's ironically, it turns out that a lot of the better ones happen to be his ones that aren't very horror centric. Like it's, hmm. um, like Shawshank and the green mile Definitely. and stand by me, which was adapted oh. from the body. Those three yeah. are like perfect. Like you can watch, you can watch those, read the book and you're pretty much, it's a like word for word. I love stand by me. I, yeah. when oh. I was younger, I used to watch that movie on repeat. I just, for some reason, just loved that movie so much. <laughs> yeah. I think there's only like one or two scenes that they cut that are like in the story and not in the movie. Mm. And they don't, it's fine. Cause they don't, they're not like super important. They didn't do anything to the, to the story overall. Mm. So it's like cutting them doesn't hurt the movie at all. And it keeps everything just a little more streamlined and just as good as the story is. And I love that they can do that because like everything nowadays seems to be adapting movies uh, or adapting books to movies. And, you know, it's so hard because you fall in love with these books and, you know, the books that especially, you know, any book, but like with the scary books too, you know, you have felt you've been scared by this book. You have envisioned these things happening and it's, it's scary and you want so badly for the directors of the producers to, you know, honor those feelings. And sometimes mm. it, it doesn't translate. Um, so to hear that there are some gems out there where, um, you know, it, it does is always good to know and always good yeah. to hear. Um, so what has been in your entire life, the scariest book you've ever read? <laughs> you can think about it. You don't have to go first. I can go first because I have my answer for, for once. I know this answer. Um, mine is The Taking by Dean Koontz. Um, and I, I can't even remember really what the book is about, but I listened to it as an audio, um, in my car because this was back when I had, I, um, I was going for my master's and I had a pretty long commute between where I was going to school and where I lived and I'd be coming home at night and, uh, I'd listen to it because while I'm driving, I wanted to listen to the, to the uh, book. So I listened to the taking by Dean Koontz. I got to a point where I was so freaking scared. I couldn't listen to it at night in the car on the way home. I had to find something else. I just, and, and that, even though I can't really remember exactly what the book was about, the fact that it lingers still to this day, how scared I was, it shows the power of what was created. And I don't know if maybe some of that comes through it being an audio and the, the narrator can change voice inflections and things like that to add to this, to the, the feeling and the tone of it. Um, and to keep the the words true to the author. And I think in some ways, I think that made it scarier than had I just read the book to read the audio because I'm picturing it as I'm being told it in the voice inflections through the narrator. And I was absolutely terrified. Couldn't read it. Could I mean, I ended up finishing the audio, but I had to do it during the day, like on my drive to, and I had to listen to something else on the way home because I was so scared. It was great. Oh, brilliant. Uh, 
I mean, for me, I'm trying to rack my brains. It's got to be, it's probably got to be a king. Um, it would probably be it just because that was really this, it was so disturbing and it really kind of creeps you out. It's not a sort of book you can read really late at night. Um, so it would probably be that one. If not, it would be Cujo just because again, oh, oh. who doesn't, who doesn't get scared about the idea of a killer dog? <laughs> and I think Bernard at that sort of one that you could not get away from. <laughs> yes. Who does that? He, he was a good boy. <laughs> I um I guess scary. So I mean I I don't know for me if it's like an entire book, but it's just like there's always specific scenes mm-hmm. in each one that stick with me. Like I think I guess as an as a whole, The Shining is probably the scary just because of like imagining being in that situation. Like it's just three people alone in a hotel that slowly becomes more and more alive mm-hmm. with with the dead is like (laughs) yeah it's just it was just creepy and then having like i don't know putting myself in danny's position like if you were there and your dad just was slowly losing it and like literally becoming more and more scary to you as a kid would be just like i don't know that would just be terrifying yeah, um, and there are multiple scenes. scenes. That would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would just not be fun at all. Um, and like being trapped there in the snow, like not really being able to get out, not being able to contact anybody. Like mm-hmm. I think that was a yeah. lot, big part of it too, the whole isolation aspect. Um, but then, I mean, there's multiple scenes and I just reread Salem's Lot recently. And there's multiple scenes in that that are just super creepy. Like the, oh, I don't know, the, the kids scratching at the window, the, when Mike goes up the stairs, like he slowly hears like conversations in his in his other spare bedroom. Like it's there's just a lot of really good creepy scenes in that one. See, and that's what I and like about creepiness is it's like yeah. that unknown. Like you hear things or things are happening and you don't know how and you don't know why. I think stuff like that that you just described, I think, is what really makes things scary. Yeah, like there's a scene with the guy and he's like burying. He's he works at the graveyard. And he's burying a kid's uh, coffin and like he's right there at the edge of it and he thinks he can hear the kids scratching <gasps> the coffin oh, and then like <laughs> he's like imagining the kid's eyes opening and stuff like that it just gets like super eerie really quick to like the way he's like slowly hears things and all of a sudden it's just like bam yeah and i've been finding that reading salem's lot you do seem to hold your breath a lot just kind of going oh my god what's gonna happen yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then I no, think like Pet, Pet Cemetery is also terrifying. Just I think more or less because of the idea of it, like the desperation that King puts Lula main character like Lewis Creed in is just horrifying. Like to lose your family like that, like or a family member is just mm-hmm. like that would be is awful. Mm. Yeah, but you just want to. You end up just wanting to slap the father in the end in Pet Cemetery and go, "What are you doing?" Like, no, don't do it again. (laughs) (laughs) again. How many times do we have to tell you? (laughs) Sometimes people never learn their lesson. I just just recently read Dracula for the first time in like ten years, and there's that book. That book's there's some there's some really scary scenes in that book. Like, there's a lot of really like subtle. Again, very subtle. Uh Little things that you're just like, oh god, no! Like that, 
I'm okay. No, thanks. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's like Dracula is one of those books that I don't I, – I think, Liz, we might have been talking about this um, a while ago, but I don't think I've ever read the entirety of Dracula. I don't – I never had to read it for school. I never had to read it in college, and I just – I don't know if I've ever read it. Same thing with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I don't know if I've ever read that one either. I read Frankenstein for the first time last summer, and it was a beautifully written book. Like it's, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's that scary mm-hmm. or like really creepy at all. There's a couple of scenes where you're like, oh, there's something there. But other than that, it's like it's more of a dark like romance, but in a way, cause yeah. And that's kind of what I've heard it referred to as, like not really cre- like scary, um, but I have heard that it's 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 a great great literary read um but yeah to be fair i've never read frankenstein i've read um the last time i read dracula until now was about 10 12 years ago um i actually read it whilst i was in ireland um seeing some family but yeah it it just brings you back like reading dracula again brings you back to that classic gothic literature which you just can't beat there's something about it is a mixture of the character development, the time setting, um, the whole scenes, uh, scene setting. It's just written so well that it sets this really macabre scene. And um, I think the fact that he writes it all in, in like letters and journal entries actually adds to it. The fact that he was able oh, to do yeah. that and still Definitely. set these scenes and make these intense and creepy moments, even though it's literally people writing down letters was like really impressive. I really like that. I liked how, how they did, did that, just to kind of split it up a bit and, and also give you a bit more of an insight into the character's kind of psyche and yeah. an idea of, of how they're feeling. I thought that was such a brilliant tool. All right. So, um, obviously, we've talked about the scariest book you've ever read. Um, but when it comes to, obviously, we've already discussed that Stephen King is one of the, the true geniuses of horror. But other than Stephen King, who asked me your other favorite um, horror writers? Um, I don't, I don't, I mean, it's mostly him. And then I've <laughs> been recently getting into, I don't know, Bradbury's not necessarily horror, but. Oh, I mean, but he's so good. Recently, like, yeah. yeah. He's great. <gasps> and then um, uh, I've been reading a lot of Michael Crichton's work too. And again, not necessarily horror, but he's a really good for like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's, he's passed away now, but he was, uh, I feel like one of the better people at giving you like real information with like the fictitious story. Did it? I feel like every book I've read from him, I feel like I learned something. Didn't he write Outbreak? Mm, Who wrote uh, Outbreak? Is that like a show or is that? No, it's a yeah. book. Um, God, and maybe it wasn't him. I can't remember, but. You know, if he didn't write it, he made me think of the book. But then it made me think of, you know, what we were talking about earlier about taking real life situations and possibilities and making them real. But the book Outbreak, um, I'm going to look it up here in a second, um, is about a pandemic. It really is about, you know, this this fictitious massive outbreak that becomes a huge pandemic and you know it wasn't scary but it was one of those like ooh, this is you know what if this actually really happened and then lo and behold here we are coming out of well we're not really out of it yet but you know see finding ourselves in a massive pandemic 
Well, that's like Crichton Road, Jurassic Park, which is like, you know, it's kind of silly on the surface, like bringing dinosaurs back to life and putting them in a mutant, like a zoo. But the way he writes, like the book, at least the way the book's told, because the movie's obviously a classic and great, but the book just takes it a little farther. So you see a little more into like the science aspect of it. And the way he sets the book up is you, it opens up with like a little, almost like a news clipping in a way. So mm-hmm. it makes it seem like it happened and that it's real and that they're trying to cover it all up. Okay. It's it was like really interesting that he like made it when you start reading the book, you, you like definitely question like, wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah. So Robin Cook is the author of Outbreak. So okay. in case you want to look that one up, it's, it's Robin <laughs> Cook. But when um, I think it's interesting, you just made me think of another book when you talked about how uh, like that letter makes you think that it was a real um, yeah. Like a real event. Max Brooks um, wrote, and I believe it just came out uh, last year, but De- uh, Devolution. And it's about basically a Bigfoot attack on this really tiny um, village. Like this little town was created. It's almost like a Bill Gates kind of society. It was very technologically advanced. There was only like, you know, six or seven homes, so six or seven families. And they had like one little community building where they went to. But then like all their supplies came from like, you know, self-driving Amazon trucks, basically, or drones dropped all their supplies. And so they were very isolated at the bottom of this mountain in Washington state. And I think it actually was like a volcano because it, it erupted on one side, which is what led and pushed the, the, um, the Sasquatch down out of their homes and into this village. And it, it it was kind of a it was a really gruesome um gory kind of book but it was it was really kind of weird but it was written very much with her diary like they found her diary the one girl is like the one character is missing they never found her but they when they went and finally got to the village after they were able to clear roads and everything from the volcano eruption they found her diary and they're like doing like interviews with geologists and so again kind of a a creepy book but it wasn't like it wasn't super scary but it was still um you have these these creatures in essence, these monsters that are like, you know, semi-intelligent invading this small town with these people and they're trying to fight back. And it's just, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's, I'm um, reading one by uh, Richard Chismar. It's called chasing the boogeyman. And he, it's, it's really interesting because it's the way he again, starts it out and, it makes it like I actually had to Google to make sure it wasn't it didn't actually happen <laughs> because it's because it, he even sets it in like a local town. He's from like 30, 40 minutes from where I live and he sets it in a town there. So I was like, hold on. Like I and I had to and he made himself like the main character. So it's talking about like him, his life, like in that time period about all these like murders around his town. It almost feel it feels a lot like Halloween, mm-hmm. like the Halloween movies. Mm-hmm. Funny enough. Um, but it's just really unique the way he the way it's written where it's like from his point of view, like living in this town where there's these murders happening. And I literally had, I had the, the way he wrote it to start it, I had to look it up. I was like, there's, is, did this happen? Like, how did I not know about this? (laughs) (laughs) But again, that kind of goes back to, it's scary because it, it seems like it could be real and it's taking real life things and it makes it scary. Like, you know, did this person actually exist? And I mean, we have like, real life boogeymen and serial killers and that's like you know when you hear about stories of real life serial killers you're like there's actually like real people out there that 
do these things and it's not just in the pages of a book, um, it, it, it does. It definitely makes it scary. You know, it's like the whole Zodiac killer. I mean, that is real. But like the way, I mean, when you watch the movie and then I found out the movie was from a book, I had to check that it, if it really was real or not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, thinking of Stephen King, to some extent, Pennywise was almost um, based on John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. The serial killer who dressed up as a clown. Yeah, I mean, he, a lot of the, in The Shining, they referenced that, oh, I can't I forget there was like people that got trapped on a mountain and then they like ate each other out in car. Oh, like the it happened. Donna, yeah. Yes. Donna the Donna. Yeah. Yeah. He like mentions that a lot in a couple times in the shining, which is just crazy. Cause yeah. it's like, they're about to go do the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but of course, going back to Stephen King, um, you have a, you kind of have, to have a bit of a sneak peek at the new TV adaptation, um, of, oh, sorry, film adaptation of Salem's Lots. Um, that obviously you've been sharing some of the pictures on Instagram. So yeah, tell us so about, my, a bit about I that. I guess my uncle lives in the town and he, he's the one that sent me all the pictures. Um, in the town where they filmed a little bit of the movie. And I guess that's like where he lives is the town that they're, they're using for Jerusalem's lot, which is really neat. I didn't, I didn't know they were doing that. I don't think he even knew until <laughs> they just started changing some of the storefronts and. Yeah bringing in a bunch of vintage cars and stuff like that. I was like, that's really cool. So I, he sent me all the pictures and I was sharing them in my story because they were just, it was really cool to see it. That's very exciting. Is it, so, because is there actually a Jerusalem plot in America? Or is that? No. Yeah, it's a, so a lot of King's main towns are fictitious. Like Derry is pretty much based off of Bangalore where he used to live. I don't Ludlow is not real. Castle Rock's not real. Um, he does. He does have a, an obsession with Maine, doesn't he? Yeah. He likes to set things in Maine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we, that's that's what he knows. You know, he lived there. Yeah. He grew up there. And I think Maine just kind of like presents itself as a good, creepy place because it, I feel it's like less populated than some of the other places, and you have like all the the forests and the woods and the foliage, and then in the winter you get all the snow. I just I see it being the perfect setting for a scary, creepy, yeah. murderous story. <laughs> And the whole small town aspect that he gets into with a lot mm-hmm. of his books, it like feels very real. Like when you go there, if you go to the small towns and stuff, like the people are definitely, they know immediately that you're not from there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it would come across much differently in a small town, Maine, than like in Phoenix, Arizona, where I am. It's like yeah. just driving is scary here, but you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but so small have you town. Done many of the, um, have you done many of the tours and some of the, Stephen King locations at all? Yeah, I've gone, I've gone twice now up to Maine, and I didn't, I didn't, I haven't actually done like the official tour like on that bus that you see. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that one, but I've done it like with my with my friend um, Jesse. He runs King of the Maine Designs. That um. account. I've done it with him, like because he lives up there. So I've gone up and just hung out with him for a couple of days, and then we've just kind of done the tour <laughs> ourselves. I actually kind of think doing like the self tour might be a little bit more beneficial. You know, yeah. I think it'd still be cool to do the official one, but when you're on your own and you're doing what you like, you're picking the things. I think that that's it's much more personalized. So that's cool that yeah. you've done that. That's really cool. Um, what? So we hear thriller, we hear horror, we hear paranormal, we hear all these different words to describe scary books. What do you think differentiates a thriller from a horror from 
you know, any other type of category under that? I, don't, I mean, I guess it depends a lot of times on the subject matter. Like, I wouldn't necessarily consider, like, if you look at, um, just for instance, like, I mean, it obviously is horror. I think mainly because you get that whole aspect of this killer supernatural clown is going around and murdering children. And, and like, then there's this weird, the weird, like, cosmic aspect of it. I think that makes it horror as opposed to, um, you get, if that would have been like a true crime book, like if it's like, I, I would consider, I, I don't know to me, like Halloween's a thriller. Like, I don't really think that's horror because it's just, it's some guy going around killing people. And obviously there's like a whole kind of chase aspect of that or like running away part. And I think that's, that's to me, that's what separates it. Like horror, I think is more um, like prevalent throughout where thriller is more of like a buildup and like a chase aspect like there's definitely something where in my head like something's being running away from or toward and i don't know i think i'm stumbling over myself at this point (laughs) (laughs) i mean there's there's lots of different horrors isn't there you've got as you just said you've got slasher horror you've got supernatural horror you've got so many different horror subgenres within the the overarching genre that obviously horror is like the umbrella term i guess Mm -hmm. yeah there's all like so, the I mean, subsections. I think horror and thriller are quite close um, in some aspects for genre wise because they both have that whole sense of tension, sense of suspense. But with the horror, it tends to be a bit more kind of, I don't know, in my opinion, it feels like it's more scary, like more not gruesome, but just a bit more in your face. Whereas the thriller tends to be more psychological, but at the same time, if you look at something like The Shining, that kind of crosses both boundaries because you've got right. very much at times a psychological thriller, but at other times it's it's a paranormal horror. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's one of those difficult ones that it does. They cross over so many times. Mm-hmm. You could call you could call a film or a book different genres. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, it's weird because like, I'm always like, you know, thriller. And then I hear what people are putting down as thrillers. And I'm like, so I like, I don't know if I think like thriller more as like a book that's just enthralling and it's thrilling. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's moving kind of like the, the chases and you're trying to get away from something where almost a horror, um, like something that you can't, you almost can't run away from. You don't, maybe don't even know <laughs> what you'd be running away from. You know that there's something there, there's something happening, and you can't, you can't escape it. Like, you can't just, you know, mm-hmm. scream through the woods as Jason's chasing you, um, <laughs> yeah. which isn't really horror. It's thrilling and it's enthralling and it's just like, you know, creepy. But horror, but you have some control over that. Whereas in horror, I think you, there's an element of loss of control um where it was just why like i think pet cemetery actually fits the horror bill way more than you put it in like the thriller aspect because it is more like that that whole like uh like loss of life like you and then just that mm-hmm. the uh the grief mm-hmm. part of that whole book mm-hmm. like that book is just so horrific because you are oh. literally like living with this family that's just going through tragedy after tragedy and then 
like the terrible decision making that leads to just more. And I think that I wouldn't necessarily call Pet Cemetery thrilling at any point. I think it's just <laughs> like just yeah. scary and mm-hmm. an awesome book, but it's <laughs> just messed up. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I'd ever call Pet Cemetery thrilling. It is very much a kind of not a downer, but it's just constantly something yeah, goes wrong. Something definitely happens. one of the more like just uh, like constantly depressing, but it's <laughs> definitely. Um, so we are just over a week away from Halloween um, from the date we're reco- recording this. So do you guys have any traditions with either like, books or films that you um, anything you particularly watch on, in the run up to Halloween? Hmm. Not, not really. I think I, I tried this year. I think it was the, the first year that I've really like tried to read a bunch of stereotypical horror esque books and actually done it. Okay. Like last year I wanted to read a bunch of these vampire ones and I just like never got around to it. And this year I finally <laughs> did it. Like I did Salem's Lot Dracula and Interview with a Vampire like back to back to back. And Rice, nice. Really fun. Um and then What did you think of Anne Rice? I liked Interview. I thought it was good. It was definitely way different than Salem's Lot and Dracula. Like yeah. it's a totally different style. Different. And I actually liked having it from the um, the vampire's perspective. I thought that was really an interesting way to go about it. Is that the first one you've read in the series? I, yes. Oh, I've read the next two, and they yeah, they are very well. They're very well written. And also I the film. Thrift shopping really earlier this week, and I found a couple of the other ones, so that was pretty fun. Hey, like. fantastic! Oh, cool. Yeah, no, vampire stat is very good. Um, and yeah, if you get a chance, the film. Um, Interview with Vampire is yeah. Just actually, so I well watched done. it. I, I'd seen it when I was a lot younger. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and then I, I watched it again recently. Just to it get gives a, little... a new appreciation, a new appreciation for it, doesn't it? Once yeah. you've read the book and watched it. Yeah, the book. I, yeah, mean, I mean, obviously, the book is it's better. There's a little more to it, but oh yeah, the movie was so still very well done. And that cast nice. is kind of funny to see all those guys. Is <laughs> I'll say I watched yeah, the. I have never funny. seen the. I've never read the book, but I've seen the movie when I was much younger and I primarily saw it because I wanted to see Brad Pitt. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should probably go back and, and read the book for the literary appreciation of it, but I was younger and the book is very yeah. good. Yeah. And I mean, seeing, who was it? It was, um, Oh, Kirsten Dunst. Really? Yeah, really that's what, Kirsten so my Dunst. roommate and I watched it and we both were like, is that really her? Like, she's so <laughs> yeah. little. She did such a good job as the kids. I thought she did such a brilliant job with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, from our end, we've been kind of, for the duration of October, we started watching horror movies as much as we could. We had, we've gone so sad as to like split it up by weeks. Okay. So last week we had Stephen King week. Um, week before that, we did more of a paranormal, uh, possession week. And we're on to thrillers this week. So we've been, uh, we've actually been, uh, reading, what not reading, watching the, uh, Silence of the Lambs series. So, <gasps> oh, yes. Silence of the Lambs is an awesome movie. The Red Dragon ones leaves a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. To be desired, but. Yeah. We I haven't seen the other Red two. Have you not? Oh, Hannibal Rising is very good. Um, we watched Hannibal Rising night before last, and last night we watched, uh, Red Dragon. So tonight is Silence of the Lambs, which, yeah, is just a, a superb film. I haven't read the books yet, though. Red I've Dragon's never... the only one I've read. Oh. And it oh, was, what did you think of it? It was good. It definitely 
makes the movie look even worse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the Red Dragon book was great, and I I really want to read Sans. I want to read the other ones because apparently, yeah. Um, well, some of my friends that have read them on they love the series. They say Sans the Lamps, and then Hannibal. I think Hannibal. Yeah, Hannibal, because it's they said Silence, and then one of those two, one of the next two, are like really good, and and Red Dragon's awesome too. But yeah, nice. I love Silence of the Lamb. That's that's I will say one of the kind of like creepiest movies. Like, like it's oh. just ooh. yeah. I don't think I had any idea really what I was get going into when I watched it with my dad for the first time, like we, and I was like, oh, this was cool. <laughs> And then he and I both didn't know when we started. We found Red Dragon. It was just like playing on TV one day. And we're like, oh, well, this sounds interesting. <laughs> Neither of us realized it was like the prequel to Sons of Lamps. Neither of us knew. I like, really? So we got like all the way through it. And all of a sudden, Hannibal shows up. We're like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. No, yeah. I think the first one that I saw from that series is actually Hannibal. And again, it wasn't. I didn't really know what I was watching. I think it was another one that was brand new on TV one day. And it was just like, what did I just watch? Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Mm-hmm. It was very disturbing. But no, it's that uh, Anthony Hopkins does an amazing job, absolutely, yeah, absolutely amazing, amazing job of Hannibal. Yeah, that's crazy. I really want to watch the TV show. <gasps> you have to. Do you know what? I saw it last year. It's really good. Do you know what the the main act, the actor who does Will Graham does a better job than Edward Norton did in um, in Red Dragon? That doesn't surprise me. Because he, he portrays the more broken side of, yeah. of Will Graham. It's really, really like, I like it. I like Edward Norton, but I feel like he definitely didn't touch on like anything that like Will Graham. Right. The way that Thomas Harris wrote Will Graham in Red Dragon was pretty, like, pretty amazingly done. Hmm. And that's it's, and Mad Michelson is amazing. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, you really do in these kind of movies. You've got to pick the best actors because it's like they're like the authors have written them so specifically and have developed them in such a specific way to create those traits that make those characters like the psychotic crazy scary people that they are so you 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 got to take the time to to make sure that you get an actor who can portray that so you need someone that's going to give you everything Mm -hmm. yeah exactly i mean what would shining have been without jack nicholson for a start Think about yeah, how he much definitely into it. <laughs> he definitely captures the the crazy part of yeah. Jack Torrance from the get go, which I think was the only reason why I don't necessarily like his portrayal that much. But that's also not really his fault because oh, okay. you don't get the the book; you get a lot more arc with Jack's character. Yeah, where yeah. Especially, even toward the end, he's still trying to fight his demons. Yeah, uh-huh. but like Jack Nicholson, just like from the start and then throughout the whole thing, he's just already that's crazy, true, yeah. which. Wow. Which again, he and caught that part changed. of it very well. <laughs> and they completely changed the ending. Yeah, I read the, I read the book after I watched the film, and I remember thinking that didn't happen in the film. <laughs> yeah, I remember I watched the movie when I was younger, and like my dad was like, "Oh, you got to watch this." So I watched it, and you know, I liked it, but I can't watch it anymore. After I read the book twice now, and I'm I'm planning on reading it again this winter, but um, and I've tried watching the movie, and I just can't. I can't do it. Like, I just think Kubrick, like, just didn't give that book <laughs> any justice. It hurts. You've I talked... Admit, I did kind of... Oh, <laughs> oh I was going to say, you've talked about your dad quite a bit. Has he been a big influence on you in, like, your your passion and your love for, like, Stephen King and reading and literature and, and horror? 
with the I think mainly just because like him and I watched a lot of movies together. That was like the biggest thing, and and he had like made it a point when I was younger to show me like a bunch of the classic like horror movies. So, like at one point, I think we watched like like Alien and Nightmare on Elm Street and oh, The Shining. Like we watched like all those like classic ones like just back to back to back a couple nights like that. Um, but like when it comes to reading, it was definitely my mom. Mm. It was always like when I was younger, always pushing books like did and got me to read like early and often. And mm. and then when I started getting into King, she was one that like went to Barnes and Noble and came back with like five and was like, look what I found. Sounds like a mom. Yeah. Can she adopt me and start buying me books too? <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, so, Liz, are we ready to move on to our game? Yeah. All right, so, Tony, I don't know if you're aware of this, but at the at, at the end of all of our episodes, we always do a, a speed lightning round of either or. So, there's ten questions. You, it's, it's a this or that, either or. You have to pick no explanations, and you have to pick one. You can't say both or neither. You have to pick one, but you don't explain it. So, it, it goes pretty quick. So, um, this week's theme is obviously it's a horror edition of this or that. So, all right, Liz. Okay. Oh, and what order do you want us to answer in? Uh, we'll go Tony, you, me. Okay. Cool. Okay. Right, so let's start. Paranormal or murderous? Paranormal. Paranormal. Yeah, paranormal. Vampires or zombies? Vampires. Mm-hmm. Zombies. Vampires. I, w- I would have said werewolves if that was the other option. <laughs> <laughs> Traditional magic or voodoo? I don't think I've read much voodoo, but I think that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think voodoo just, yeah, I like voodoo. That does sound fun, yeah. I'll go voodoo. It's like an added creep factor to voodoo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> More personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you make your little voodoo doll. <laughs> Killer clown or intangible mist? I Clowns are always scary. I feel like you... They can't not say clown. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of agree, but the intangible miss, I think there's a, an incontrollability there that I think is just really scary. So I'm going to go intangible mist. I'm going to kill a clown. Killer dogs or killer prom queen? The dog, because I don't, I don't, I love dogs. <laughs> I just don't want to not like dogs. <laughs> I agree. Definitely killer dogs are scarier. Yeah, killer dogs. Uh, King or Poe? I mean, I, that's kind of tough. I, I would obviously <laughs> say King personally, but King I did get a lot from Poe, so it's <laughs> tough there. It is a tough one. Um, I'm going to go with Poe just because I've read more Poe than I have King. Uh, I'm going to go King because I've read all of Poe, and half his is just tedious. <laughs> Some of his stories just get on and on and on. And the horror, non-horror ones are the worst ones. The mm-hmm. horror is yeah. the only decent ones. Um, gothic or contemporary horror? I might have to lean gothic here just because of what I've been reading recently. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, it's so tough. <sighs> 
Uh, I'm going to say, <laughs> Liz is laughing at me. <laughs> I know, I'm going, I'm going, okay, contemporary horror if it's done well. I'm going to get gothic. Um, possessed people or possessed inanimate objects? People. People. I'm going to give this to animal objects just because Annabelle is pretty creepy. I was going to say, I think it depends on the object. Yeah. <laughs> like Chucky like is creepy. Yeah, Chucky's Chucky creepy. Chucky and Annabelle, they're creepy. But yeah. if it's like a I pillow, like... You know, <laughs> the killer pillow. <laughs> Could smother you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dracula or Frankenstein? I love Frankenstein. I have to go Frankenstein. Uh, I'd go Dracula. Yeah, Dracula. I haven't seen, I haven't watched or seen or read Frankenstein, so I can't say anything. Um, finally, Cthulhu or Pennywise? So I haven't really touched any of the Lovecraft stuff, so I have to lean, lean Pennywise. Oh, definitely Pennywise. Yeah, say Pennywise as well. So that's it. Yay! You survived our either or. <laughs> All right. Well, Tony, um, I, we appreciate you being on our show today and having a great conversation about horror and thrillers and scary books. So tell people where they can find you on social media. Uh, yeah, on uh, Instagram, which is Tony's Horror Corner, and then I actually have a link there for all the other stuff. So that's just the easiest place to go. Okay, so at Tony Horror Corner. Yeah, Tony's Horror Corner. Perfect. All right, Liz, where can we find you? As always, you can find me at Lizzie's Little Book Nook. Um, and my website address is Lizzie's Little Book Nook.co.uk. And how about you, Holly? I am AZ Desert Bookworm on Instagram. And then I do have my blog, which is linked on my bio, but it is um, thebookshelf.substack.com. Um, all right. Well, this has been a super fun issue or edition, an episode of Speaking Literally. Uh, we hope that everybody has a great week leading up to Halloween. And if you're part- participating and partaking in the Halloween festivities this weekend, we hope that everyone is safe and has fun and dress up and have a spooky great time. We will be back for our next episode, which will drop on November 22nd, in which we have special guest guest author Jessica Glover. Until then, we hope that you are reading some magical books. Thanks everyone for listening. Mm-hmm.